What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. And today, we had a really fun episode. I answered all of your questions, but I did it much better because I brought on a guest who is way smarter than I am. I had my good friend, Christy Campbell, on the show to help me answer all of your amazing questions. This was everything you want to know about everything. Like for real, we covered a wide range of topics, mainly because you guys ask such incredible questions. If you want to participate, if you have something that's been on your mind, a question, a topic that you want to hear discussed on the show, the best way to do that is to follow me on Instagram. It's at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. You can send me a a DM or you can check out my stories and see if we do another question box and you can ask it there. Either way, I always love to hear what you guys want to hear about. And that's really what drives the content of the show. And uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun. If you got any sort of value from this episode, if you get any sort of value from this episode, please do me a favor and leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tag both Christy and myself on Instagram. You can just take a screenshot of the episode, post it to your stories, tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner, and you can tag Christy at Christy May Campbell. Enjoy the episode. All right, everyone. I am here with a special guest. See, I feel like a lot of podcasts, they want to bring on the top experts in the field and that can be interesting. I find it slightly boring. What I like to do is bring on my friends to the show who are way better than the experts and actually give you practical information. So repeat guest, I don't know, this is like your fourth or fifth time on the show. Christy Campbell, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks. I'm so glad to be here. This is fun. We're like having a friend conversation this morning. You're like, let's answer some questions. So I'm down for it. Yeah. So yeah, little backstory. Christy and I have a weekly standing call every single Friday uh, just to catch up and check in on each other and um, feel a little bit less alone in the running your own business, you know, path and journey. So um, we were just having our conversation. And yesterday I'd post a question on my Instagram stories, just like, Hey, what topics do you want me to cover on the podcast? And there were so many that came through. I was like, man, this is a lot for me. And while we were having a call, I was like, Hey, you want to answer some questions on the podcast? So here we are literally spur of the moment, zero preparation. We hung up the phone, we jumped on zoom and now we're recording. Um, do you want to give like a quick five minute elevator pitch on, on who you are? So everybody is up to speed if they haven't listened to your previous episodes. Yeah, sure. Um, so PS, like don't skip over the part that like the pro tip of having a standing weekly or standing monthly with people in your life that you want to prioritize or have relationships with, like as friends, as business, as you know, family. I feel like the first pro tip to take away from this would be that. Um, because it's so easy just to get like rolling and just be like, we'll catch up eventually. And then you just never do it. And so um, but anyways, I my name's Christy. I I'm the founder of a company called Fit Me. And about nine years ago, I found myself in a place where I just wasn't me. Um, I grew up eating normal foods, but like the gushers, the, you know, all the like nonsense of the 90s and the 80s and Otis Spunkmeyer cookies and bags of popcorn and 
boxes of cereal and eating like all the Papa John's and Dr. Pepper you could ever have. Cause that's what we, that's what we ate. Um, and I thought that healthy food was slim fast shakes and weight watchers meals and like diet cupcakes. And so it wasn't until you fast forward to adulthood, I'd had two kids, 10 knee surgeries. I'd been in the Navy and had this knee problem that turned into this progressive thing that I found myself like unhappy and overweight, like 40 pounds stuck thinking that it was me and that I was either genetically destined to be overweight or that I didn't have the discipline for it or that I, um, I didn't understand why I would take pictures with my friends and I was like the chubby one in there. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't feel like me anymore. I would put clothes on and try to hide rather than like feel good in my skin. And so I just found myself in this place that I know a lot of women have been or are that is like, you're happy in these other parts of your life, maybe as a mom, as a professional, as a friend, as a wife, as a whatever, but I was just not happy in my skin. And it was this constant reminder. Everywhere I would go, it was a reminder because I was either trying to diet or I was making it worse in my mind. It was one of the two. Um, and I just felt like, what do I'm gonna, what am I gonna do to fix it? And I I I went to the things I knew. I joined Weight Watchers multiple times. I tried all the shake challenges. I did all the things you're supposed to do and none of it worked. And it wasn't until like I met a coach, my husband was deployed and I met a coach um, and he wasn't some fancy Instagram influencer. He was just a really good coach. And he taught me the basics um, of eating well, of, of working out hard. He didn't baby me. He didn't baby me because of my knee. Um, and he like, he created a space, a community through his like park workouts that I got to do life with people. Um, so it was the most inconvenient time for me to make this transformation uh, because my husband was deployed. My kids were really little. My knee was hurt and not doing great. Um, but ultimately getting back that piece of me that year um, was the part that I never expected. I thought that I would lose weight and I would have this like big transformation of before and after, but really he gave me back or he created a space in which I could get back you know, that piece of me. And so nine years ago, he changed my life. And so I was like, I'm going to become a coach and I'm going to help other people with this. And so over the past nine years, I've coached in different spaces from doing my own outdoor boot camp class to coaching in gyms and doing personal training um, and running a CrossFit gym to ultimately stepping into the nutrition space um, and helping people with nutrition and that started off more like the fitness nutrition style. It was like people who are already in the gym, helping them um, fine tune their nutrition. And I, I love doing that. But ultimately, I came kind of home to my original passion, which is what, what someone did for me. It's kind of helping people bridge that gap of creating that healthy lifestyle. And so that's what we do in Fit Me. We help people build healthy lifestyles and we do it through giving them a an incredible coaching experience, a community and a real place where they're not expected to be perfect and that they can use like practical life to, um, it, it doesn't have to be something that to wait for until like the right season. So I think that's like my five minute elevator pitch. I love it. I've, I've heard your story so many times and never gets old. And there's always like a little additional nugget that I take away. And I think it's really cool to see the evolution too, from like your, your focus on, athletes and getting leaner and doing the whole macro thing to then realizing that it's more about the life transformation and creating the lifestyle. And I think that you're like the epitome of that, where you have a very busy life, like on the surface, it's like, well, how does she have the time? She 
owns a business, she's married, she's got, you know, your husband's, uh, you know, sometimes deployed, sometimes home, it's kind of back and forth. And then you have three children, you have, I don't know how many dogs at this point, <laughs> and like a lot three of dogs, three dogs, like there's just so much going on. I feel like you're always the example that I, I use with, with people who are like, well, my life is too crazy to do this. And I'm like, you should talk to Christy. Your life is so crazy. That's why you need to do this. And like, I think you're the way that you've built a community of people and like one of the strongest communities in the space to, to really empower people to like take control of their life. It's less about like nutrition and, and living a healthy lifestyle is the vehicle, but then it carries over into like their entire lifestyle, their, their lives, their relationships, their career, just like fulfillment in general. And I think that that's the coolest part for me to just be a, a sideline uh, spectator. Um, so Thanks. We're just- I, I like to imagine like that. I get to hand off people to the life that they want. Like I almost imagine like, let's do this journey together and I'm going to go get you. We're going to build this healthy lifestyle and then just go do anything you want with it. Um, go live. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've got a lot of questions to get through. Some of them Ooh. I will probably just reference other episodes where I did go in depth on the topic, but um, I wanted to bring you on, Christy, because I think that you have a unique perspective on certain things that um, it'll be nice to hear uh, either both of our takes or some of them I'm just going to pass off to you. Um, actually, this first one I think is a great one for you to take and run with. Um, the question is, how do you ease off of macro tracking and begin trusting your body? Oh, I like that one. Um, I, I think it depends on how you have done your macro tracking. And so you might, and what I mean by that is, have you been able to apply it in your real life? So have you been paying attention to your macro tracking? Like, have you been looking at the the food and thinking to yourself, I'm just stuffing this in because I'm hitting my macros? Or have you been thinking like, hmm, like I'm not super hungry because of, you know, X, Y, and Z? Or have you been like for example, hitting your macros with a protein bar, which is totally fine, but then feeling starving and then coming up to a meal and thinking like, okay, well, I've got it. I'm going to gobble this up. And then what's the next thing? None of those things are wrong. I'm more at saying like, have you been observing yourself doing macros? Because observing yourself would be like step one, paying attention to like your hunger signals, paying attention to um, how you feel when you have a, a protein bar versus a plate of food? How do you feel um, if you're a woman, like in different weeks of the month? Are you more hungry? Are you less hungry? How has your sleep been? So if you've been paying really good attention to that while you've been tracking your macros, then when you start to transition away from macros, because you maybe some some people, I do know some people who want to track forever, but a lot of people are like, I don't want to track for the rest of my life. Then instead of thinking to yourself like, okay, well, I'm not tracking this, but I'm paying attention to how I feel when I eat this or my routines, I feel like then you can start to let go of the tracker. Um, So that would be step one is paying attention to your signals before you let go of tracking. And I think step two would be building confidence in your routines. And so if you have a really rock solid, confident routine, like you know you eat pretty much similar things for breakfast most days, you do your meal prep on Sunday, you make your dinners, you've got your leftovers for lunch, and then like once or twice a week, you might go out to dinner and have like a funzy time. And you're just really confident about that routine, then you can let go of tracking and just live inside of the routine and the habit. Yeah. And I, I can, that's perfectly stated. Um, I can also say from, from my perspective, 
uh, I'm currently not tracking. And I always just realized, like, I think when I was initially moving away from tracking, there was like this fear. And then I realized that it's always there for me if I need it. Like, it's not, it's not like once I stop that I'm done forever. And maybe that would be the case for some people, but I always think to myself, like, if I need to be a little bit more specific, I can always go back to that. So it's not like a just complete rip the bandaid off situation. I'm in a maintenance phase. I am eating intuitively. And I think because I was more of an observer of how certain foods made me feel of knowing what my portions look like, how do I get in enough protein, making sure I'm getting in enough veggies and just having the quality habits and routines like you talked about, it's made it a very easy transition for me. And then typically at this phase in my life, if I want to like drop some body fat for a photo shoot, I'll go back to tracking for a short period of time and then ease off of it. Again, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. We have a lot of clients that do really well with a mixture of some days tracking, some days not. And that's a gradual approach to just insert some intuitive days until you eventually get to full intuitive weeks. And then you can move forward from there. And I think there's one more like in, I love that you said like, it's not all or nothing because I think we normally think it's black or white, either I'm weighing and measuring and tracking everything, or I'm completely intuitive. There's a middle ground where you're not necessarily tracking all your calories in my fitness pal, but you're still measuring your portions. And I love that middle ground because especially if you like to overdo it on carbs or fat, you don't necessarily have to track everything in my fitness pal, but you still know, hey, I'm going to give myself like two tablespoons of this olive oil, or I'm going to actually weigh out my peanut butter because I know if I don't, then I'll have triple what I, I really need. But you still don't have to necessarily track all your calories in my fitness pal. Yeah, totally agree. Um, oh, this is another good one for you. And, uh, you know, we, this is a, a more generic question, but I think it's a relevant one. And hopefully you can just take this in whatever direction you see fit. Um, how do you stay in a good mindset when things around you are out of your control? Mm. One would be to have boundaries around what you allow in your head on a daily basis. And so there's a lot of things out of our control, especially right now. I mean, with social media, I mean, there's fights about everything under the sun, but even in your actual life, there could be things that are that are constantly weighing on you and you feel like they are out of your control. <clears throat> um, and so a good mindset starts with boundaries. When are you going to allow yourself to, th to go to that place and think about it? And, and again, it's not when will the universe stop being crazy because <laughs> it'll never stop. Um, but it could be... So some very practical things could be like unfollowing certain accounts. Um, if it's a social media thing, it could be muting things and setting up your phone so that it's not notifying you. For if it's family, it could be identifying... It always feels bad if you're like, don't don't talk to me. I'm not ready to engage with you. Like that feels like a boundary that's really hard to enforce. On the other hand, if you flip it and you're like, I do want to talk to you, but I can't talk to you right now. So can we like set a time, you know, that we talk about this later? Like maybe it's budget stuff or maybe it's whatever. If again, it, it's like, you don't want to get peppered with it. It's going to mess up your mindset. But if you can set a time, if it's a person in your real life that you are, you will engage in it that can be a really effective strategy for keeping your head right so that it's not like weighing on you constantly. 
Yeah, it's well said. And I also think that um, when you focus on all of the things out of your control, it can feel overwhelming and like everything is spiraling. Uh, the reframe is what can I control? At least, you know, Mm -hmm. during periods of my life that I've, that I've mentioned on this show a million times, um, you know, moving across the country, separating from my wife, moving back across the country, losing my grandfather, starting my business, being, having a nasty breakup with the other company that I was working for. Like that was a time of my life where everything felt like it was spiraling. And that was also the time where I really leaned on fitness and nutrition for better or for worse. It was at least something I could control. I probably took it too far in the obsessive category, but it was like, I can control what I put in my body. I can control how I'm moving my body. And at least those are things that I can tangibly hold on to as controllables in my life. And so like, yes, boundaries, super important, focusing on what you can control. One other thing I'll say is that I think we sometimes set ourselves up for failure by defining success as doing all the things all the time where we actually talked about this on, on Christie's mm-hmm. last episode, where you, you use the analogy of, of carrying bricks up a hill and some days it's going to be a one brick day. And I think that that's like the mindset shift of like, what's the one thing that I can do today that equals winning the day? Like what's the one brick that I can carry up the hill, even if it's just you know, unfollowing people on social media, if it's a 10 minute walk, if it's having a conversation with somebody, whatever that one thing is, just why does the definition of success have to be 10 bricks up the hill? Like we get to determine what success looks like. I call it like, you know, what are the one to two things? What's the one to two things that you can do that's like winning the day? And it doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be this like massive thing. It could just be something very small. Like, you know what? I made the bed this morning. I won my day. Like you get to determine that that's winning the day. And I think sometimes it just takes the the reframe mentally to say every, like, instead of viewing it as everything's out of control, you get to view it as, well, I'm still doing the things that I need to do to win each day. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny, like nine years later, I still give myself credit, like points for little things like that. Because it's from a mindset perspective that never stops being a part of supporting my healthy mindset. So oftentimes, like I'll go to do a workout and I still take a selfie at the end. People are probably like, what the hell? You've been taking workout selfies for nine years. Like, isn't it, isn't it good enough? And I'm like, in my head, I don't care because that is the piece, like what you're saying of I can control this. I showed up. I'm going to give myself credit for it because this was one of the things that I really wanted to make sure I did today because there's a lot of things that I want to do, but probably won't happen. And so give yourself those little those little wins. Celebrate them. Even if you feel like they don't matter, they do, especially in the seasons when you feel overwhelmed. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and I love that you do that, by the way. I think it's important that we we realize that it's the way that our brains are wired. It's easier to find problems than it is solutions, or it's easier to point out negatives than it is positives because we're built for survival. We're built to literally see threats coming and to keep ourselves alive. Mm -hmm. So it's so much easier to look at all the negatives than it is to see the positive. So we have to intentionally point out positive things. And, and one of the things I talked about was like celebrating when bad shit doesn't happen. Like when you don't blow yourself up, when you don't self-sabotage, like celebrate <laughs> those days that feel like they're neutral, but those are actually wins. Um, mm-hmm. Keep in mind that I did not do any 
prep work for these questions. So they're just coming in in the order that they're received. <laughs> so when, when it's I like say, live radio, when I say this next question, you're going to be like, where did, why did you go from here to here? That's just the order. Um, tell us everything we need to know about creatine. <laughs> this is something that I can answer. There you go. It is the most studied supplement there is. Um, there's a ton of research behind it. It is perfectly safe. It helps you build strength, build muscle, take it every day, five grams per day. It doesn't matter when you take it. It's cheap. It's effective. It also has cognitive benefits. It's actually one of, there, there's a recent study that was done and um, it talked about uh, overcoming the effects of poor sleep. And so like cognitively speaking, when you have one night of poor sleep, you're not, op- you're not um, operating at like full cognitive capacity. Let's say you only slept six hours or let's say you had really disrupted sleep. Um, you will not be able to function mentally at the, at the highest level that you normally would. There are three supplements that have been shown to um, mitigate that effect and counteract that effect. Creatine is one of them. Um, caffeine was another. And then L-tyrosine was the third. I don't know why I remember that study, but it just popped into my head. Um, you will retain a little bit of water, but it's saturating in your muscles. Um, I think that pretty much covers it. The only thing that people, some people have reported is like bloating or digestive issues. That's not super common, but if that happens for you, it's not necessary that you take it. So if you have any digestive issues because of creatine, just remove it and you're totally fine. Um, And yes, it's totally fine for women. Nothing. um, I think that pretty much covers it. Um, Mm -hmm. Caffeine and creatine. Those are the two. Yeah, exactly. Um, this other question, I'm just going to reference an episode. It was about Hashimoto's and weight loss. I had an expert on, um, Justin Janoska, who was on one of the episodes. I don't know the episode number right now because I didn't look at these beforehand, but I would go back and just search for his episode on the show and you'll get more information, um, just from listening to him, give him a follow on Instagram also. And then, um, Lee Montgomery is another one of our mutual friends who talks a lot about Hashimoto's and you can follow her as well. Um, all right, here's here's one that uh, I'll toss over to you. Um, when you are in a maintenance phase and you're getting ready for a cut, what is some of the mental and physical work that you would suggest doing to prepare? Um, I think from a physical... So you're talking about maintaining calories that are adequate for your body. And I think that's just describing what that is in case anybody's like, what's a maintenance phase? Like Maintenance would be you're eating the approximately amount of calories that your body needs. You're not overeating to gain mass and you're not undereating to lose weight. So you're in maintenance. Um, And typically maintenance seasons have more balance in them. They just generally do. You're able to fit in more occasions in a maintenance season um, because you're not in a deficit. So if you're getting ready for a cut, I think one of the first ways you can mentally prepare is to look at your calendar. Um, What is ahead? Is this a season in which you can shift that balance over more towards the side of less like shenanigans and more planning and more like staying on point. Because if your calendar's like, hey, you're getting ready to like go cross country for a fun trip and then next weekend is a is a party with friends from college and then the next weekend is this, like mentally you need to figure that out. It doesn't mean it's not possible. It just means that's how you would prep is look at that mentally. Um, and then 
probably from a physical standpoint, I think checking in, and this is mental and physical, but checking in with your stress level. So physically checking in with how is your stress level? Are you recovering well? Are you like, when you work out in the gym, are you having a normal level of soreness? Are you sleeping well at night? Are you really stressed out at work? Check in and evaluate where you're at stress level before you start the cut. Because the cut itself is an added stress and we want it, we're choosing it. But on the same um, note, it's if we have too many stresses, then we're setting up our body for explosion or implosion or whatever. Yeah, totally. I love... Uh... You, you made me think of something that my former coach had me do, and he uses this strategy with clients, which uh, I think is is cool. And um, this was Brian Crown. I'm going to shout him out. Um, and he's my former coach, not because I didn't like him. I loved working with him. I'm just that type of person where I get so much value from experiencing coaching from different people. And I always have takeaways. Uh, so it wasn't that I left him because he wasn't a great coach. He's an amazing coach. Um, anyway, what he would do is he would have you go through your calendar and and mark off the days that you have occasions and and basically like put an X in them through the calendar. And like that way you're mentally prepared because his whole thing was a lot of times we know those things exist, but in our mind, we're like, it's okay. I'm still going to be dialed in. I, I'm on this cut. I'm still going to make progress. But then the day actually happens and we enjoy the event as we should. And then we're frustrated when progress is stalled or we don't see movement. So he has you prepare for it ahead of time. Like put the X in there where, you know, like this is a non-progress day and you're already prepared. Mm -hmm. for it. And he's like, and also it allows you to look at the other days in your calendar as progress days. Like these are the days that we're really going to, you know, hit it and hit 90, 95% compliance. Um, and I, I found that to be really useful. It's just like the mental preparation of non-progress days. And those are okay because they're already accounted for in the whole um, cycle and the whole phase. The other thing that I'll say is you got to know what you're getting yourself into and be mentally prepared for that. In other words, this is your choice. Nobody is telling you that you have to lose body fat. Nobody is telling you that you have to cut. This is a personal decision. Own that decision if it's truly what you want and just get after it and get it done. Um, I think a lot of times we kind of want it, but we don't really want it. And being like half in, half out is a recipe for frustration. You're like, I don't understand. I know I want this result, but like, you don't really want it. There's this kind of one foot in the door, one foot out. Remember and like say to yourself, this is my choice. This is what I want. Make the commitment, follow through. My whole thing is like, let's not delay it as you know longer than it needs to be. Let's get in and get out. And um, so I think having that from a mental perspective, having that commitment level of I'm choosing this, I'm going to go get after it. Mm -hmm. And it does look different depending on what stage of, you know, I hate the word journey, but wherever you are, I mean, it's going to look very different if you're creating, if you have a hundred pounds to lose, then it's just going to look different than someone who's potentially doing, trying to lose body fat, who has five to 10 pounds to lose and then wants to prepare for like a special event or an occasion. And so I think, but the mindset part that you just shared of no, like kind of owning the decision I'm making, I'm getting ready to, to do something. Um, I think that's the same no matter what, but also it could be that again, if you have a longer journey, then you just know that it might take, you know, six weeks, three months, four months, six months, a year, like these chunks of time become, you know, significant so that you're like, yeah, I am, I'm 
focused on weight loss and I'm going to be focused on weight loss for a long time, but I'm not going to be essentially like having no fun for the next couple of years. And so mentally, again, like choosing, starting to choose the occasions that matter to you, I think is the other thing. Like when you're Xing them out on your calendar, you can look at the ones that you're like, "Mm, that one's going to be tricky, but I actually don't care. I don't care that I have to go to that work lunch. It's not my party. I just have to go. And then you can like mentally prepare yourself for that. Um, And so I think I wanted to bring up the nuance of like, if you're going to be on a multiple year journey or like a really long journey for weight loss, um, it's going to look different than if you are buckling down for 12 weeks of a cut and you might have to just decide like, Hey, I'm making these sacrifices where if like you're doing this for your real full life shift, like you're going to, it's just going to be, you're going to approach it different. Yeah, totally agree. And I think that like the underpinning of all of that is the foundation of quality habits, which, you know, building the lifestyle, it should not look that different, right? Like if you have solid foundational habits in place, the difference between making, you know, some small sacrifices for a cutting phase versus maintenance, like it can look very similar. And I think that that's where the the emphasis should be for like, I'll say a hundred percent of the time, like you should be focusing on the Mm -hmm. habits, the routines, the lifestyle, the things that you're setting up in your environment, the boundaries that you're setting, all of that stuff should be the main focal point. And at that point, the like sacrifices and nutrition piece is is very easy to modulate. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. So we have a two part question here, which is pretty straightforward. Um, Number one is calorie count versus macro count, which is better, especially for a dieting phase. Um, if you're hitting your macros, you're also hitting your calories um, because you can't get calories from anywhere else except for alcohol. Um, so if you're hitting macros, you're also hitting calories. Um, you know, even though like calorie balance, I would still say calories are king, but we also want to make sure that you're getting in enough protein. So my whole thing is if you want to keep it very vague, um, just hit calories and protein if you're tracking and that would be adequate enough to make progress through a dieting phase. But um, I just wanted to make sure that you understand if you're hitting macros, you're also hitting calories. And then how do I adjust my macros if I'm going from maintenance into a cut? Um, that would just be creating a deficit. So you would have to have some either dropping calories down 10%, 20%, whatever that looks like for you. Um, 10% would be a little bit more moderate. 20% would be a little bit more aggressive. And then you would also, you want to make sure you're still eating adequate protein. So you'd be mostly cutting from carbs and fats. Um, or you could increase activity. That's another thing you could just, if you're, let's say you're somebody who's getting like 5,000 steps per day, instead of dropping your calories right away, your macros, um, you could just try to up that to like 7,000 steps per day and see if that makes a difference without having to take food away. I think we get into issues when we try to do everything all at once and then we don't know what's actually causing the result. And um, one of the things that I talk about is like, we always want to keep like cards in our back pocket. Like if we're playing war and like you throw a three and I throw an ACE, like, great, I had an ACE, but like I wasted it on a three. So like, I would much rather beat a three with a four and keep the ACE in my back pocket because we might need that card later on. So a lot of people are like, well, I'm going to cut my calories increase cardio, start working out more, start walking more, taking all these supplements. And it's just like, you're doing nine things at once. Even if you start making progress, we have no idea like what's working and what's not. You just played your best hand like right out of the gate. So um, that would be my recommendation. I don't know if you have anything to add there. Well, I like, I was thinking about um, 
your card example because I love that one. And I think it's true. We we want to change everything all at once, but you can't tell then how things are working. So in my past life, like forever ago, I was in the Navy. And what I did to the Navy was drive ships, which sounds super strange now um, to me. But you see these gigantic ships moving through the ocean, right? And most people, I don't know what most people think, actually, but the uh, the I think the TV version is there's some big you know, wheel like pirate style that people are turning, like spinning full on spin to like turn the ship to the right or turn the ship to the left. So in reality, it's a dial that is probably like four or five inches and they move it with their thumb. I'm not kidding. So these giant ships move with just a tiny thumb shift. And if you're driving the ship essentially. So like an officer would say what to turn, like, you know, you would actually turn the ship and then whoever was working the dial makes the adjustment. And I'm talking about like a one degree, a two degree, a three degree shift is going to be what happens like most of the time because a one degree shift actually ends up in a completely different place over distance and time. And I'm not the best at math, um, but one of the things we had to learn when I was in the Navy was drawing these charts. And we would draw a chart of like what happens if a one degree shift and what if there's something coming, you know, would you hit the thing that's coming? But the part that's always stuck with me is how those small shifts over distance and time put you in a completely different place. And so it might just be something as small as taking your steps from 5,000 to 7,500. And you're like, well, that doesn't matter. Like, I want to do the big wheel spin and everything. But over time, you just went from, you know, you just went from sedentary to way less sedentary. So now you're actually going to see changes from that. And you want to see what's happening before you start making shifts in every direction, because then you don't know what's actually causing it. And you actually might burn yourself out because the true story is like, yeah, it's nice to be able to know exactly what's working and what's not. But also usually we can only commit to those, you know, massive many shifts for a little while and then we get over it and then we quit where it's much more sustainable to, to, to commit to something that's smaller and then add to it over time. I love it. I love these conversations because we we always have the best analogies that come up mm-hmm. when we get together. So this next one, I'm also going to reference another episode to check out. Uh, she said, um, I would love for you to teach the basics on macros, which I did. Um, it's called Macro Tracking 101, I believe is the episode title. I don't have the number for you, but if you just scroll back through the episodes of the show, you will be able to get a full-on breakdown of the basics of macro tracking. Um, here's another one that is very vague. So I'm going to let you take this in whatever direction you want. (laughs) It just says managing stress. Mm. Uh, Yeah, that one is vague. Um, I think context matters, right? Is this a short-term stress or is this a long-term stress? Those are two very different things. So is this something that, and, and here's what I mean by this. We actually, are pretty equipped to deal with short-term stress from a physiological standpoint. 
we can, our adrenaline can go up. We can be more focused. We have more attention and energy to what's going on. We might feel nervous or anxious. And all of those, again, like you said before, are actually like our body survival systems so that we can respond to the stress. And then we can recover. Oftentimes, like again, if it's a short-term stress, then you have a come down. Your body can actually feel that. You might be like, oh my God. I'm just today was whatever day and now it's done and it's it's done. And so those kind of managing stress, our body actually knows how to manage that kind of stress. It's the long-term chronic stressors that are really negative for our health. And so which kind of stress? And if it is a long-term chronic stress, like you hate your job and every time you go, you hate your job and everyone there stresses you out and it weighs on you and you think about it, you dread going you're there and it's like miserable times. Then you come home and you're like, oh my God, I only have two hours before I have to go to bed. And then I have to go back to that place that I hate. And it wears on you for a long time. It messes with your sleep. And then you start to add other stresses in and it becomes this chronic stress. Managing stress means eliminating stressors over time. There's no shortcut to that. It is going to be you know, proactively finding ways to remove stressors so that you're not experiencing chronic stress. Um, And that sounds like really surface level because you're like, well, I can't quit my job. You can quit your job, actually. You need to put the wheels in motion to figure out how you can quit your job because if it's making you miserable and every day you hate your life, then you have no other choice. And so I know that that, again, I don't know the details of someone's life. And so saying that, I'm not diminishing how hard that might be. It might take weeks, months, or even a year to get that to happen. But if you're experiencing chronic stress, like your mission in life is to remove those stressors or to address the source. Because you can't like, what if it's a family member? You're not removing that stressor. So you just have to address the source in a way that like actually helps you relieve it. Maybe that's getting some counseling. Maybe that's getting some support. Maybe that's dealing with your budget in a different way so that the stress becomes less. Um, and oftentimes you do need help with dealing with chronic stressors. Totally. Um, I think that was a great way to put it. And um, I, I also wanted to mention that we often think manage stress means eliminate all stress, which is not possible. Yeah. Nor no. I've So some stress is, is a good thing and dose is important. And you know, the, like you said, is it chronic? Is it acute? Where, what's the source? Where is it coming from? Um, an easy way to conceptualize this is like the, the bucket analogy, right? We have some things that drain our bucket. We have some things that fill our bucket. Like we should try to think about filling our bucket as much, if not more than we're draining our bucket. So if you think of something that drains you, can you control it? Number one, like your job. Yes, you actually do have control over that. Is that something that's draining your bucket on a daily basis that you have control over? It may be something that you don't have control over. So instead of thinking like, well, I'm just going to let this drain my bucket, think about what are ways that I can fill my bucket so that there's actually something to drain. And right, so it becomes more of a balancing act versus just I need to eliminate all stressors. So each source of stress is going to come with its own kind of decision-making process like, Nutrition is an, is an easy one. Well, if you're stressing your body by eating too little, you have direct control over how much you're consuming. So let's remove that stress by eating more. Um, if you're stressing out your body by eating you know, poor quality food, you have control over that. Um, if there's something that you don't have control over, you can still fill your bucket by not under eating, by not overtraining, by not doing too much cardio. Like These are things that you can utilize, more recovery, better sleep, um, you know, journaling, going to therapy, whatever it is that's filling your bucket, you can help to offset some of the drains that are happening in your life. 
and I, I really, I'm someone who loves um, segmenting my time into categories and I don't do it in a way that's like super OCD. It's just a mental mind trick. So for example, if you have finances and they are stressing you out all the time and you think about it all the time, one solution for managing stress would be to identify a time in your week that is focused on dealing with that particular stress. So for example, maybe you have like a a Sunday meeting with your partner or your spouse or whatever, where it's like you're looking at finances and you know that every Sunday you have it. And so then you can compartmentalize when you are experiencing the stress because you've allocated a time for it to have your attention. Because oftentimes things that stress us out are we're, we're, we don't want to deal with it either. And so then we know we need to deal with it. And so then we're going back and forth with this, like, when am I going to deal with it? This is weighing on my mind. And I really find this strategy applies to a lot of different things. It can apply to relationships. It can apply to finances. It can apply to work. It can apply to anything. Identifying a time that you, you want to ma- handle that stress. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Um, so this one wasn't really a question, but I'm going to turn it into a question because I would love to hear your take. Um, so this person was just saying that she loves when I talk about like mindset stuff and decision-making frameworks and things like that. So I would love to hear your thoughts on your own decision-making process or framework when you have a tough life decision, business decision, whatever it may be. Uh, what's your own personal process for how to make decisions and like anything that you utilize in your own life to, to making decisions? Uh, I, I find myself to be a people pleaser. Um, and may, probably many people who are listening are feel like that too. And so one of the most important strategies for me for decision-making is just to ask for time to make that decision. So Thank you for asking me. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I'd like to think it over and then I can get back to you tomorrow without work. And so just give yourself space to make decisions so you can actually think about, is it something that you want to do or is it something that you just feel like you should do because you're a people pleaser or you feel obligated? Um, And so I think that that is maybe one practical strategy. Um, But then ultimately, the sort of foundational strategy for decision-making is being aware of what your values are. What are your priorities? What's important to you? And then making decisions in alignment with that. Um, If your core priorities are family, then that can be a guide point when you're facing a decision. Should you take this promotion or this new job or this opportunity where you can do X, Y, and Z more? Well, there's probably a lot of good reasons to do it. And there's maybe some bad ones and you're weighing them out, but ultimately is it in alignment with what you want in your life? What fulfills you? What makes you happy? Um, what you're willing, what your non-negotiables are, and then just measure against that. And I think then you're you're gonna stay stay true to what you want. Totally. And those are all things that that I've that I personally use. Um, although one other thing that I'll add is like I've been more into looking at second, third, and fourth order consequences of a decision. Mm, Sometimes like, I like that. the surface level answer might seem like the right one, but then you're like, well, what happens as a second, third, and fourth order consequence? And I think it's also important um, to kind of revisit the conversation about having people in your life that you can talk to who will help you identify blind spots. Because 
we all are inherently biased. And so we typically make a decision and then we try to use information to validate the decision, even if it's not the correct decision, or maybe it's a decision that would be out of alignment with your values, but your brain is kind of convincing you that it's the right decision. Mm -hmm. Um, Having people who can identify blind spots who are their objective, it's somebody that you trust and you respect their opinion and just being able to say like, what am I missing? Like, Hey, here's what I'm thinking. Here's how I'm processing this right now. Is there anything that I'm not considering? Do I have any blind spots in my way of thinking? I think having a, a checks and balances system with your, uh, with your support, whatever you have, uh, you know, a partner, a friend, a colleague, whoever that may be for you, having that person in place or a coach or a mentor would be super important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that one a lot too. I feel like you do have blind spots and sometimes it's really hard to know. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. I read so much. I read so much how people say that their fat turned into muscle. Can you help clear up misconceptions? Um, that is impossible. Your fat cannot turn into muscle and your muscle cannot turn into fat. They are two completely different tissues. Um, you can lose muscle and gain muscle. You can lose fat and you can gain fat. One does not turn into the other. So those are like separate processes that are happening in the body. They're not converting into the other tissue. It's if you're, you might be losing fat and losing muscle, you might be gaining fat and losing muscle. You might be gaining muscle and losing fat. All of these can happen simultaneously, mm-hmm. but they are not converting or, or turning into each other, if that makes sense. Um, oh, here's one for you. It just says imposter syndrome. Oh, I like that. <laughs> the, wow. I don't know. I feel... I guess they're asking how to deal with imposter syndrome, right? I mean, at the end of the day, let yourself play the mental games that you need to play to show up for the things you want. So if you want to be a insert anything and you're like, I, I'm not there yet. I'm not worthy of it. I, I can't do it yet. I mean, I felt that myself when I had just been, you know, a year prior doing all the diets, 45 pounds overweight, like feeling like that was me. And then all of a sudden deciding like, I'm going to be a coach and stepping into those shoes and saying like, this is me now. Um, you know, Carol Dweck's book mindset, I hadn't read it at the time, but I'm, I know you've read it, Mike. It's the thing is, is that if we accept that we can evolve and that pieces of us are not necessarily inherent, like I am unathletic. And so that's just me. If we accept that there are things that have potential to grow and change when we apply our attention to them, when we get experience and reps, and we remove sort of the labels that put us in boxes, then imposter syndrome becomes not like, this isn't who I am, but what do I need to do so that I'm like doing the things that a coach does. <laughs> so, uh, and for me, that's kind of how I dealt with it is I knew it was there and it's never like snap your fingers and it goes away. But accepting that you are already becoming that person the moment that you decide you're going to do it. So if you're like, I want to be a runner, but everybody's going to think I'm like a fat ass because I've never been running before. And I used to just be like on the couch. Well, then 
in the imposter syndrome would be like, maybe you're going to go buy running shoes and you're like, I can't go buy running shoes. They're going to be like, what the heck am I doing in here? Um, but the moment that you've already decided that you're going to start putting your feet on the road, you're already a runner. But what do you need to do? What do runners do? Right. Well, you know, then start doing those things and then you're doing it. You are, you are already becoming that person. You are that person the moment that you have decided to take steps in that direction. And so imposter syndrome, I don't know that it ever goes away, but ultimately if it's something that you want and you accept that you can become a person who does those things and then you just identify what those are, that's how I would, that's how I deal with it. Yeah, totally. I mean, that you reminded me of James Clear and Atomic Habits talking about, you know, casting votes Mm -hmm. for the person that you want to become and like each action is is a vote for that person. It's true. If you just think about like, this is, you know, I know the person that asked this question and this is somebody who is trying to become a coach and he's very new, mm-hmm. just found like, this is something I'm passionate about, signed up for NCI, you know, is like taking the steps and yeah, new coaches always have that initial, like, you know, can I do this? Do I know enough? Are people going to listen to me? Are people going to care what I have to say? But like, you've already taken the step to say, I want to be a coach. So like, what does a coach do? A coach mm-hmm. coaches, you actually have to go put in the reps. And sometimes it's also helpful to know why you have imposter syndrome, what it's doing for you. And there is a, there's like an actual reason why your brain says these things to you. It's to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. And going back to like our survival instincts and like, being in a new uncomfortable place is perceived as a threat. So your brain's like, "Uh uh-uh, you're not good enough. You can't do this. Nobody's going to listen to you because what does that do? That takes you from action to inaction and inaction is safe. It's known, it's familiar, it's comfortable. So your brain is literally trying to protect you. You have to have this active dialogue with yourself to say like, thank you for trying to protect me, but also this is who I want to become. And you have to embrace the uncertainty and the discomfort that comes with it. Doing something that is is not yet familiar over time, then it does become familiar. But then the next step, like there's always going to be another level and the feeling will come right back. You're like, okay, well now I'm coaching people and I'm getting results, but I'm not as good as this person. So now I'm an imposter because whatever, like you, there's always that next level and the feelings will come right back. And it's the same exact a protective mechanism of just trying to keep you safe. So sometimes it helps to know like, what is, what is the benefit of this thing that I'm trying to overcome? And the benefit is it's keeping you safe, but is that really what you want? Or do you want to grow and become this, this person? And that's where the internal dialogue has to live. And particularly in coaching, I think people feel like imposters because they need, they feel like they need to know all the things and you don't. Um, I I've, I like this for my own head, but I remember thinking when I was a beginner CrossFit coach that I needed to know and be able to do everything that I was going to coach. And that's just not true. Ultimately, coaches are support. They are helping you with a plan. They are, you know, helping you see what the next step is, troubleshooting, giving you the next step, and then making sure you have the tools to do it and providing you with that structure. Um, And so for a coach that's feeling like imposter syndrome, you don't need to know the next hundred steps. You need to know the next couple. And 
even if you haven't personally taken them, um, I mean, obviously you want to be like walking your own walk, but it doesn't mean you can't coach somebody. Um, coaching is a skill set. And so coaching, again, like you, if you have the passion for it and you want to do it, ultimately learn the next couple of steps that you would need to show someone so that they can take those next step forwards and then just keep learning. Always be a student of like, what's next? What do I need to learn um, to continue to up my game? But I, I do see a lot of people who get caught up in the like, well, I need these these particular certifications. I need this particular validation that I'm worthy of doing this before I start. And that's just not true. Yeah, totally agree. Um, how do you proceed forward if you overeat for a week, for example, on vacation, and you're going through a reverse? I don't know. Maybe I, f- I feel like you might be able to answer this one better than me because I, th- I think um, you just came out of a cut and then reversed, right? Yeah. And I definitely overate plenty of weeks and I just go, go right back to what I was doing. Like I, I, I use it as like, cool. I just condensed time. Like instead right. of, uh, I'm using like, okay, I want to do this gradually and I'm going to take this slow and steady. And then I went on vacation and I ate a bunch of calories I'm not going to overcompensate because that defeats the purpose. And I actually did a whole episode on this, which is, I think I titled it like the number one mistake you're making when you reverse, which is when you try to overcompensate, you put yourself right back in the restrict and binge cycle where because you're trying to reverse, but then you overconsume, then you overcompensate, you cut too much that increases hunger, then you overconsume and you're like, you never actually get what you want out of it and you end up back at square one. So my thing is use it as a positive, like, okay, I just condensed time on my reverse. I'm just going to go back to what I was doing and pick up from there. Um, I, I think that a lot of times overcompensating is the worst thing that we can do. Mm-hmm. Back to the plan, whatever the plan is, yeah. go right back to it. Back to it. Um, can you do a deep dive into each neurotype? I've done that on literally every podcast that I've a bit of guest. <laughs> um, so I would just say like either check out the, like my guest interviews on different shows or just go back on this podcast and you'll find at least a dozen episodes that are neurotype specific. Um, I am going to read this question with the understanding that this might be something that we decide to pass on because it could potentially be an out of scope question. Um, the question mm-hmm. is, eating disorder recovery, specifically how training and education can be valuable tools. Yeah. I, I feel like things in the eating disorder category, I oftentimes just refer someone to ask their specific mental health counselor or therapist to help them make those decisions because it there's, one, if someone has an eating disorder, then it is outside of the coach's scope of practice. But two, it's it's probably going to be very specific to you and where you're at. And you're going to need your, your mental health provider to help you make those decisions. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, we already talked about weaning off calorie counting. That was uh, that, uh, that question came up again. And then the last question is, can you talk about heart rate variability? Is it important or not to track? Um, heart rate va- variability or HRV, 
Um, I would say that the leading expert on that topic is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. If you don't follow him and you want to learn more about HRV, um, definitely give him a follow. Effectively, what it is, it's a recovery score. Um, when you think about like your the way that your heartbeat happens, there's like this tempo and there's this um, pace that happens like in between beats. And they're literally like like seconds, milliseconds that is being tracked um, with your your heart rate and and the tempo of your beating heart. And so with heart rate variability, we can see changes in that tempo or pace that would indicate whether you're recovered or not. So it's almost like a stress score in a, in a sense. I know that things like WHOOP, um, they give you a recovery score. They, they're using some form of, of HRV, although I'm not sure if it's the most accurate. Um, I tried using a WHOOP strap for a while and I always felt like my recovery score was total bullshit. <laughs> like I would feel... <laughs> like a hundred percent ready to go. And they'd be like, you're a 10% recovered. You should take a rest day. I'm like, no, I have all the energy in the world. So I'm not sure if it was just, that was, I'm not saying anything negative against Whoop. I'm just saying, I don't know how accurate it is, but HRV is, is a tool for um, monitoring like your almost like a stress score recovery score of sorts. And whether you need to track it or not, I would say for most people, like 99% of people it's overkill uh, I think that we we love to like call ourselves data nerds, but if the data isn't like informing decisions and enhancing your life, then just tracking stuff for the sake of tracking it is not really beneficial. So sometimes we like put too much on our plate. And um, I experienced that firsthand with the previous coaching program that I was with. Like they would make people obsess over like the tiniest little details of like how much you know sodium you're consuming and. Uh, you know, all it was like all these little minuscule tracking metrics. And they'd be like, well, if you had 2,700 milligrams of sodium instead of 2,900, then you wouldn't have gained weight. Like it was obsessive and it was crazy. And people were ended up being way too focused on data and not just like, how does my body feel? <laughs> like, am I mm-hmm. in the process? So I think sometimes we, what I call, we try to like major in the minors, um, which is we're like, putting a lot of emphasis on stuff that's not really going to move the needle. Um, I don't know if you have a different. Yeah. It, I think you said that really well. I'm an aura ring, same category as a whoop. It's giving you some feedback based off of measuring your body's data. And I love what you said about taking data. It's only helpful if you're going to make actions based on it. And so I don't live and die by the data. I just, I don't want that life. However, I think it's interesting to check in with if you're if you're using a tracker, a step tracker, a you know, a whoop strap, or something like that. To me, if you track it consistently, you might be able to check in and see trends. I mean, that's to me the part that feels the most helpful. If you're someone who gets six hours of sleep consistently and now you're getting to six and a half and seven, then that data is really helping you again. If it's informing the fact that you're going to bed earlier because you want to get better recovery. Um, maybe you are seeing that if you drink before bed, then your recovery score tanks and you're like, that's not working for me. And like what you said, oh, I don't feel as good. Um, that can help you make decisions. Um, on the other hand, many people utilize trackers to um, kind of 
substitute motivation or, or in not in a bad way, but in a, almost like you said, like an obsessive way, like I didn't hit my steps today. So, you know, I've screwed up or whatever. And it becomes this compulsive thing. Um, and that can be really negative and it depends on the person. So you, you got to know yourself and know if you are somebody who goes down that rabbit hole and maybe a tracker is not for you, or maybe like it can be seasonally, um, but I just think what you said makes a lot of sense. Like use data to help you make good decisions about taking better care of yourself. Um, but don't live and die by the daily data. That's silly. Yeah. I think you just brought up a good point. It's like trying to control everything. Whereas, you know, it's like, well, if the scale went up, then I'm going to like, look at every little number. Like what was my fiber? What was my water intake? What was my sugar intake? What was this, that like, and you're trying to pinpoint this exact thing where like your, your body weight fluctuates, you, you hold water, you release water. Like there's all these different variables, like who the fuck cares why it went up in an isolated incident. Just it's okay. Stop trying to control every single thing. Um, again, use the data that helps you inform decisions and ignore the stuff that just messes with your head. And if it adds value to your life, then it's working for you. <laughs> if it's taking away and stealing your joy, it's not working for you. And so that is very individual. You get to decide, is this helping me in a positive, a motivator, or is it making me pissed? Um, well, this was fun. I feel like we just flew a bunch of questions and time went very quickly. Um, I would love mm-hmm. to uh, let everybody know where they can stay connected with you and find you online. Yeah, this was fun. I like answering these kind of questions. I feel like these were really good questions and covered, I don't know, everything from body to mindset, to boundaries, to schedule, to creatine. I mean, um, at the end of the day, it tells me anybody who is willing, if you asked a question or if you're thinking of a question and you were like, I wish I could have asked this question, you're already like 10 steps ahead because you're thinking about things and wondering how to take care of yourself better and wondering how you can like thrive and like live your best life. So you're already winning PS if you're listening to this. Um, The way that you can, I guess, connect with me would to be two places. One would be my Instagram, Christy May Campbell. Um, I try to show up there every day and especially in my stories, just share like my real life, what's going on with me. Um, And then I have a short form podcast. It's called Fit Me Coffee Talk. Um, It's usually about 10 minute episodes every day. They're kind of insights. Um, It's almost like a out loud journal. Like I'm having a cup of coffee and just giving you something that you can use in your day and think about. Um, And so look for that Fit Me Coffee Talk. Love it. And I will post both of those in the show notes so everybody can follow Christy and listen to her podcast. And um, I appreciate you making this last minute arrangement with me and coming in unprepared and unrehearsed and just letting it fly. This was super helpful. It was really fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon.